Well, we're back once again, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Kyle Style Podcast. And we're going back to Ferguson, Missouri today. There's something smoldering, something brewing down in Ferguson once again. Only this time, it's not racial tensions, although some allege a racial component. At what is known as the Westlake Landfill, which is a few miles, uh, about five, uh, less than ten miles away from Ferguson, which is about uh, it's about ten miles outside of St. Louis proper, lies the Westlake Landfill, and it has had a what the the evacuation orders I'm looking at here say was a subsurface smoldering event which has been occurring for several years, right? Now, this happens sometimes. You can have layers upon layers of combustible things, low oxygen, maybe there's moisture, and these fires can just sort of smolder and go on and on. So it's been years now. Now, this fire has allegedly, according to some sources, spread to about within a 1,000 feet of the real problem. The real problem is radioactive waste. There's radioactive waste that was dumped there from way back during the Manhattan Project, right? I'm going to point it out again. Go back and listen to Cultural Fallout Episode 2. Get an idea of how invested we were in nuclear proliferation and uh, nuclear arms race. And think about the fact that from the very start, we were mishandling our nuclear waste. Right? Now, this nuclear waste has been in the Westlake landfill since you know the mid to late 40s. Uh, other military uh, waste was dumped in there as well, but then it became a municipal dump and has just been a you know a public dump. And it's uh, managed by Republic Services, who have been accused of mishandling this fire, knowing that there are uh, radioactive waste uh, there's radioactive waste stored there now this uh evacuation shelter in place plan that i'm looking at which i'll put a link to the uh pdf is you know it's sort of standard in a sense i mean their public officials are saying okay it's not really that you know it's not really that urgent and yet here's this order that describes how you know should be evacuated and how, and that there will be almost no warning. It's uh, it says that uh, that this yeah that this event will most likely occur with little or no warning. Now, what we're talking about is not just oh, there's radioactive waste and it's on fire. You're talking about plumes of radioactive dust and ash going up into the sky and raining down over Ferguson, over large swaths potentially of St. Louis itself. And maybe further afield, depending on winds and whatnot. Now, I've also seen some images that show <laughs> that there's this landfill is also in the path of tornadoes. Okay, it's also on an active fault line. It's also uh, part of flood zones. So never mind the fire. 
<laughs> the fires are the most, one of the more pressing things, but it also moves slowly. Well, I mean, what about a tornado or an earthquake or something that can really crack this thing open, uh, spread this stuff around? And the response has been somewhat strong from the public, apparently. Um, this one article I was reading, I'll check the links down here, uh, it's close to like 300 you know, local citizens showed up to um, the city council meeting there to talk about this. And apparently they were uh, a little heated. And there's rumor and suspicion of misconduct and people are scared. And when you're talking about an evacuation plan, it's it seems dire. It seems very serious. And... This whole, I mean, this whole situation is still evolving. And the thing is that there is time to still at least keep the fire aspect out of it. I mean, I don't know how you hand, how do you put out a, a landfill fire. I guess you'd have to, like, dig it up. But that's kind of part of the problem in the first place. Is we don't want to dig up and make airborne these, you know, radioactive particles. So that's going to be a big project. But we have time because this fire spreads slowly. We have time to try to do something about it now. The other issues, though, tornadoes and earthquakes and stuff, those can happen at almost any time. We don't know when they're going to happen. Floods, you know, we, we just don't know. So long term, we got to take care of the radioactive waste aspect. But this whole idea is that this stuff has been sitting there, inert, since the mid-40s, right? Radioactive waste from the, crush, uh, from the creation of the first atomic bombs in the, again, the Manhattan Project. Now, this sort of lying in wait kind of uh, idea and this sort of hidden threat uh, reminded me of an older story. And you know how like you know how I like to do it on the Kyle Style podcast. I'm going to talk about something current and then I'll draw a connection to something else. Now, this, this other story is again an older story and it has uh, much more sinister implications than its name might entail. And it's the story of a neighborhood in western New York State known as the Love Canal. So the story of the Love Canal, I mean, really begins with it, its construction. What is the Love Canal? Well, the Love Canal was made by an entrepreneur named William T. Love in the uh, early 1890s. And he his plan was to dig a canal from the Niagara River to Lake Ontario. And he believed that they could turn it into, uh, you know, a source of hydroelectric power, right? Well, they ended up not finishing it. And... It sat, you know, sat unfinished. It was used as a swimming hole. It was used uh, in the winters as an ice skating rink. And um, it was only about, you know, one mile long, about 50 feet wide and 10 to 40 feet deep. Now, when the project was abandoned, you know, it filled with water, was used as a swimming hole and a skating rink. And but by the 1940s, it was purchased by the Hooker Electrochemical Company. And they began to dump their company's chemical waste into it. 
and you know not just pour it in but uh they drained the canal and they lined the bottom and the sides with a thick layer of clay and they started putting 55 gallon drums of various chemical wastes into the canal they also bought an area immediately around the canal like you know 70 feet um away from the canal on each side. And uh, the U.S. Army also dumped waste there. The U.S. Army also dumped waste in the Westlake landfill. So, uh, after World War II, the, well, the dump site continued being used until 1953, okay? From the beginning of the usage to the end of the usage as a, as a dump, 21,000 tons of chemicals were dumped. Chemicals such as caustics, alkalines, fatty acids, and chlorinated hydrocarbons from the manufacturing of dyes, perfumes, solvents for rubber, and synthetic resins. Right? Now, they're buried, you know, 20 to 25 feet deep. And after they stopped dumping there, they covered over with a, uh, a layer of, another layer of clay, put earth over the top, called it good. Now, April... 28th, 1953, a, the Niagara Falls School District purchased the land for $1 from the Hooker Chemical Company, who included a disclaimer that there were hazardous materials there and that they were not liable for anybody building or using that land. And they stated that the area should be sealed off so as to prevent the possibility of persons or animals coming in contact with those materials, right? Well, Niagara Falls City School District proceeded to build two schools. They built the 99th Street School and the 93rd Street School six blocks away. This was 1955, right? When the 93rd or the 99th Street School opened, 400 children attended the school in that same year a 25 foot area collapsed uh, of the ground right collapsed and exposed the metal drums this then had rain runoff which filled it with puddles with 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 water and the children apparently would play and splash in the the rain water that had these chemicals leaking into it right 1957, uh, city of Niagara Falls uh, constructed sewers uh, that were going to run th- to low-income housing that was going to be adjacent to this the Love Canal area. And during this process, they uh, ruptured the sides of the clay uh, seal on the Love Canal itself. Now, there was also uh, the LaSalle Expressway was built right uh, next to this. So that caused runoff, which then uh, caused more, uh, more water to wash through the Love Canal uh, containment uh, chamber, if you want to call it a chamber. So flooding caused it to overflow and and whatnot okay so residents in the area began reporting 
that puddles of chemicals and fluids would come up in their basements and in their yards. So fast forward to 1979. You now have entire neighborhoods uh, built on ground that is that is seeping uh, with hazardous toxic waste from this breached Love Canal uh, containment. Now, by 1979, there was a noted disturbingly high rate of miscarriages, right? Carcinogens had been identified in the local groundwater and even in the air and the earth in people's basements and around their homes, uh, including benzene and dioxin. And dioxin has been called one of the most toxic chemicals uh, ever extracted, right? So in 1979, the EPA announced the result of blood tests that showed uh, that a lot of residents there, you know, a statistically high number, had uh, high white blood cell counts, which is uh, similar, which is an on early onset form of leukemia. Now, uh, the residents there were also showing chromosomal damage, okay? As many as 33% of the residents had experienced chromosomal damage. Now, as with radio, uh, radiation damage, uh, chromosomal damage is... It's one of those things that... It, to me, it is one of the most horrendous things that can really happen to you because typically, as in this case, aside from seeing some chemicals, you know, maybe some odd-looking liquids come up out of the ground in the basement or something like that, you don't necessarily know that it's happening to you until, as these people experience, you go to have children. And the, the level of birth defects was extremely high in the Love Canal uh, neighborhood. Uh, high, disturbingly high rate of miscarriages. Uh, a lot of people working in the area and living in the area, the adults, had uh, you know ex- higher rates of cancers and nervous disorders. Now, there was also discovery of Uh, some of these toxic chemicals in the milk of nursing mothers, right? And the one case, like half of of the children, two out of four children from a Love Canal family had birth defects. And this is straight from the Wikipedia article. Um, I've seen other accounts of some of the other deformities, but uh, one girl was born deaf with a cleft palate an extra row of teeth and slight retardation, and a boy was born with an eye defect just in that one family. Now, again, what you're talking about with chromosomal damage is a potential, it's, it's not really reversible. You, what, you get, what you get is that through all of human history, there, you know, men and women paired off or, you know, or reproduced 
and that genetic lineage was handed down and down and down until it comes down to you. And your DNA bears that uh, bears that mark and bears, in a sense, their experience, as in they lived, they didn't die. And you get exposed to chemicals like this, which can destroy and disrupt your DNA. And it kind of, it, it, in a very literal sense, turns you into a mutant, but not in you know, but not in an extreme way necessarily. Uh, I think these these deformed children are an example of that, you know, that the, the idea of a mutation. Um, and then these children come out looking like monsters when they should have been healthy and their parents should have been healthy. But they were exposed without their knowing to incredibly unnatural, I hate to say unnatural because they are just molecules and they are extracted and derived from other natural substances, but concentrated and, you know, reformulated. And the the long-term damage, of course, is that you are, you, you no longer are necessarily able to make viable children, and presumably your children that are deformed and possibly mentally retarded are not going to, you know, continue on and have children themselves. And so, possibly your entire, you know, genetic line is brought to a screeching halt because of negligence. And not only that, but this entire neighborhood now is, well, we'll we'll get to that. So, Hooker Chemical Company was eventually bought out by uh, Occidental Petroleum. And this will become important later. But... When one, uh, the, so the residents in the area were having trouble getting this taken care of, right? In some cases, they were sort of told to sell their homes and just move away. But no one would buy these homes because they knew it's like buying a haunted house. They, they knew that, you know, no one was going to buy these homes that they knew were, it, were toxic with all these awful chemicals. Um, but in the in the late 90, 1970s, an uh, an EPA uh, official, uh, Eckhart C. Beck, visited the Love Canal, and he described, "quote I visited the canal area at that time. Corroding waste disposal drums could be seen breaking up through the grounds of backyards. Trees and gardens were turning black and dying. One entire swimming pool had been popped up from its foundation." afloat now on a small sea of chemicals. Puddles of noxious substances were pointed out to me by the residents. Some of these puddles were in their yards, some were in their basements, others yet were on the school grounds. Everywhere the air had a faint, choking smell. Children returned from play with burns on their hands and faces. Now, this did begin to turn into... A, a public affairs issue and a political issue. August 7th, 1978, President Jimmy Carter himself, for the first time ever, announced federal emergency funds for something that was not a natural disaster. Right? 
but the uh, but apparently this wasn't enough. They originally were going to relocate several hundred families from the neighborhood, but not all of them. So, <laughs> and I'll, again, I'll include the link to the actual news uh, newspaper uh, article. But uh, May twentieth, nineteen eighty. Uh, Lois Gibbs was the president of the Love Canal Homeowners Association who became a citizen activist as a result of all the inaction of the local local and federal politicians. And uh, her and other homeowners, as part of the Homeowners Association, took two EPA officials hostage and <laughs> demanded uh, the evacuation of more than 700 other families from the neighborhood and that they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't let these EPA guys go until they did that. Now, you're basically saying, if we have to live here, these two guys got to live here. And if it's safe, then you got nothing to worry about, right? But you, you know that you know that they knew, you know that they knew that it was it wasn't safe, and you know that uh, they were probably itching to get out of there. But uh, the police even said that like they couldn't get in to rescue them because there were so many of the other homeowners there blocking the way. What I would say is mo- more likely is that the police probably just understood what they were doing and didn't try that hard to save those guys. That's what I would say. But uh, but eventually, uh, you know, more ethical heads prevailed, and more than 800 families uh, were reimbursed for their homes, and this became uh, known as, well... The Comprehensive Environmental Response Compensation and Liability Act, uh, CERCLA, or what we more you know colloquially call the Superfund Act. And Superfund has been used to clean up a, a lot of other industrial sites. Uh, where I grew up, near where I grew up in North Idaho, the Silver Valley had a large Superfund project to uh, clean up a lot of the mine runoff that had contaminated a lot of the soil and everything with lead and mercury and other stuff. And so rather than abandon infrastructure, you know, you just dig up the earth, you move that uh, toxic, dangerous earth away, and you bring in good earth and replace it. I don't know what they do with the, you know, dangerous earth, but they do something with it. And, uh, yeah, so as a result of that sort of nightmarish uh, effect of these chemicals on human beings who are exposed to them. The negligent handling of the chemicals and the procurement of the land by the city, right? Eventually, uh, Occidental Petroleum was sued by the EPA, and in 1995, they paid $129 million in restitution. And residents also had their own lawsuits, uh, various lawsuits, following this whole scandal. You know, it's kind of weird. If you're thinking about it over the course of decades, it kind of becomes a scandal. The threat is there the whole time, but until it becomes a public issue, um, you know, it it isn't necessarily a scandal yet. But what we know now is, again, that uh, negligent handling of dangerous substances led to, at least for that neighborhood, a whole generation of people who are unhealthy, who in some senses will never be healthy, right? And a mother, you know, a mother had to 
take some government officials hostage in a home to try to draw attention to this uh, the plight of these people because it was foisted upon them against their knowledge, right? So now we come back up to the present now. Now, I'm going to say, as, as a lot of times I say with some of these news stories, is keep an eye on it. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I'm going to try to do updates on this podcast about specific stories or anything, but uh, the, the, I'm getting mixed news and mixed messages. Like, again, I, I mentioned that that racial component, there's certain, there are websites that are, I would call it black-leaning, and they have a kind of conspiratorial attitude about it that this was all intended and it's, you know, it's supposed to be happening. And, um, you know, they just, they don't care about black people. I'm going more with the, uh, inept approach, which is just the people who dumped that waste there back in the day, you know, they didn't know how much bigger this city was going to grow. They didn't know that it was going to become a municipal dump. They didn't necessarily plan or understand even maybe what the real long-term effects of you know nuclear waste were going to be and so they just handled it in a negligent way and now it's (laughs) now it's republic services problem and they're probably going to try to dodge the bullet as much as they can to avoid having to clean up nuclear waste because i don't even know if a private corporation has ever cleaned up nuclear a nuclear accident or nuclear waste, you know? I don't know if they're even prepared to do anything with that, and I don't know what you do with it, right? Because we we did build Yucca Mountain, which that will turn into a giant waste of money because we decided to not use it after we had built it. Uh, probably should have done that in the reverse order. But, um, yeah, I don't know what you would do to get to the nuclear waste that's in there, radioactive waste, how you handle it, what you then do with it. And even if they do clean it up, they say they cleaned it up, is that going to convince the the sort of uh, jaded, uh, you know, black Americans that live in the area who already think that it's a sort of an intentional thing? Um, would you believe them? <laughs> I mean... I I don't know if I would, and I don't even live there. And this, and again, this, uh, I'll I'll try to include the links to some of these articles because the one that I found has these amazing maps that show where the landfill is. It's right next to it. It's right next to a uh, airport as well. Uh, It shows where tornado paths have gone. It shows where flood paths have gone. And it shows where like the fire currently is. And, the if anything this fire at this fire part is really just kind of a a, a kickstarter to help uh you know light the fuse in a sense to get a little more attention on this thing because what we're what we're talking about if it becomes a giant radioactive plume of smoke is a kind of mass evacuation health crisis that I I don't think has been seen since I mean Chernobyl or maybe like Katrina you know like you're talking you would probably everybody in the St. Louis area would probably be trying to flee 
And until it's assessed, everyone would just panic and try to flee. And even if it gets an all clear, I I don't, I mean, even if you could clean it up or something, I, I wonder how willing people would be to move back into a city that they know had just had, you know, radioactive fallout uh, rain down over it. And how far could it spread if it was, you know, uh, prevailing winds going uh, west to east, it blows it further east, who knows? And, uh, yeah, so, I don't know, I think I'm, I think I'm out of actual info for you. I think I might be out of opinion for you. Uh, you know, Google this, check the news. This might be coming up more. I haven't necessarily heard anything about it. Uh, well, today I haven't, the last couple days I haven't seen anything new about it. And just keep an eye out for it. And I want to keep this in mind, too, is that, this is one such site where this kind of thing is happening. I'm wondering about places like Hanford, other uh, chemical and biological nuclear weapons storage facilities or disposal sites. I have a feeling there's going to be more stuff like this over time, again, due to that, you know, that fallout culture, that nuclear culture. We, we've created all of this waste and all of these weapons, and all of this stuff has to go somewhere. So I guess until next time, don't be scared. Bye. Oh, and one more thing. Check the links below. Uh, follow me on Twitter. Follow me on Facebook. Uh, slide right over to the GoFundMe page and throw a handful of coins at me. Uh, digitally, at least, you know, digitally anyway. And uh, keep supporting me and uh, give me feedback. Give me comments. Tell me I'm an idiot. Tell me I'm great. And... Uh, Tell a friend. All right, until next time.